after that gig, Warren looked at me and said, he'd, he'd never heard me actually play keys out because I, I don't, I'm not a keyboardist, but I can do some chords. And you, were, you said something like, you really have got the chops you need to do a gig like that. This is years ago. I still remember that. It gave me a boost of confidence to, to do more of it. And here I am, <laughs> not a child anymore with my big brother telling me things. I'm literally a grown woman and still that affirmation meant so much. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. And we have brought in our other brother who we talk about pretty often, but he's now going to have the chance to speak for himself (laughs) instead of having us give our interpretation of his ways and his thoughts and who he is. Warren, about time, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Warren, welcome to Love and Life. Good to be here. So we've been talking about a lot of different subjects related to family. We've certainly gotten into some of the woundedness that we experience, and sometimes those wounds do come from our family relationships. And we were thinking about siblings in that context, and we thought, let's talk about the sibling relationships that has not been given the same amount of attention in the developmental psych literature as parents. And that kind of makes sense in the sense that people have children, they want to be the best parent possible. So they want to see what the research says about parenting styles and how they can raise healthy, happy children. But when you're doing that in the context of some other kiddos running around, there's also these influences that parents may or may not have all that much control over in terms of those bonds and relationship dynamics that are established amongst siblings. So who better to talk this out with than my two brothers? And for those who don't know, I am the baby. Warren, with his deep, very serious voice, is the oldest brother. And then Elliot has more of a playful spirit. And maybe playful is not the right word. Maybe Agitationally playful. There we go. That's what I was looking for. He does that classic middle child agitator sometimes referee, but oftentimes instigators. And we hope that as we're discussing our sibling relationships, that you guys will take a look at your own relationships and consider some of the strengths that you have amongst your bonds and maybe some of the challenges you face and maybe still are impacting you to this day. Gentlemen. Thank you, Karen. Before I address that, I do want to shout out our sponsor, Magic Mind. Here at Love & Life, we believe in a holistic approach to health, one that encompasses our mind, body, and spirit. We've loved getting to work with Magic Mind because this is a product that helps us get a place where we can function optimally. Instead of grabbing one of those coffee drinks with 1,200 calories like I did this morning, Magic Mind offers these little green shots that help boost your energy, reduce stress and anxiety, and give you more mental clarity and focus. As someone who struggles with staying focused, I love a product like this that helps users achieve productivity while using natural ingredients. For example, one of the main ingredients is matcha, which has natural compounds that help prevent cortisol spikes in your body that typically lead to caffeine crashes. Instead, it prolongs the effect of caffeine without crashing and reduces stress in the process. I truly enjoy getting to share this product with friends and family. And just the other day, I was able to recommend this product, Magic Mind, with two of my clients, two mothers with very young children and difficult sleep schedules and lots of stress. And both of them were encouraged that there's a product out there just like Magic Mind to help them. 
Head over to magicmind.co slash lovelife and use code lovelife20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. That's magicmind.co slash lovelife and code lovelife20, capital L-O-V-E-L-I-F-E, 20 for 20% off your order. You can also check out the description of this episode for more info. Yes, the topic I want to start on first is what we mentioned, Karen, in our Christmas Eve Instagram Live. Yeah. And when we were using the reference of our gig we got to play together, which was so fun as a family, and how birth order was so significant in that, and there yeah. was a slight alteration in that, that kind of threw things off a little bit, at least for you and I. Because Warren is not only the oldest, but he's the most gifted and organizationally leadership, music, effectiveness by far. And yet he was at a place where he couldn't go into his normal firstborn authoritative mode out of fatigue and everything else. And he just wanted to slide in with us, but it made you and I feel naked and ashamed. We're like, <laughs> what do we do with this? He needs to be leading. And you did the best job you could. And uh... I just did my thing on the drums and threw out ideas and thoughts to you guys. But And so we were laughing. It went fine. In fact, it was quite fun. And I think we did pretty well for not playing very much together. But... That was just an example, again, how birth order matters and the contextual roles that are part of that matter. And as soon as you two are in the room with me together, I don't feel as much like I'm pastor, counselor, professor, author anymore. I feel like the middle brother that's got to make sure things are stirred up. And I'm 55. And you do it so well. Thank you. It is a gift. Uh, it is is a it, gift. though? Yeah. Is that how we're framing it nowadays? And so since Warren... Uh, talent, I'm not sure. That's, <laughs> since Warren bleeds firstborn and everything he does, we thought it'd be fun to have that dynamic here for the listeners, but also the seriousness. Sibling relationships matter. So many of the families I work with, the couples I work with, the sibling wounds, the sibling pain, or the sibling joy is a huge contributing factor to their life for the positive, for the negative, for the neutral. And obviously, you two have meant an incredible amount to me my whole life, been a huge influence in the positive, even when I was crazy and mean and rebellious and not effectively enjoying those relationships. And so I know in return, I've done some positive things for you now in this stage of life and just how important it is to us to be siblings and be unified that when we're Andersons together, it means something. So as the firstborn, authoritative, occasionally pretty anal, organizational, effective administrator, what is it like working with your adult siblings when they rise up in similar positions and you're no longer needing that exact same vein? At this stage of my life, it's great because I have more than enough arenas more than enough responsibilities for which I have to be the bus driver. And it is really nice, frankly, to come in because my whole late teens through mid 40s, there were precious few times when I was in a situation where I did not have to be the one on whose desk the buck stopped. Mm -hmm. And that if it ultimately, it was my responsibility to make sure something happened, whether that was in a church ministry, in a classroom setting, in, in life, raising two kids of my own, obviously with help from my wife, Leah. But at this stage of the game, to have a few outlets, especially with my family members, where I don't have to be the one making it happen, to quote one of dad's famous phrases, it, is, it really feels good. And it feels healthy. I think in an ideal world, I would have had a few more of those along the way, but I didn't. And so now I'm maybe making up for lost time in some respects. So when you purposely and intentionally abdicate your role a tiny bit based on your own personal capacity issues at that moment, but also it's in response to trusting us differently. Oh, yeah. 
if you didn't have the skills to do what we did when we gigged in Indiana, then I would have taken the reins. If I wasn't confident that Karen was more than able to lead our little ensemble, yeah, I would have stepped in, partly because I don't like to do anything half rear-ended, and partly to help Karen save face in that moment. I wouldn't want my sister to get up there and do something that would cast dispersion on the family name of performing musicians, right? That wouldn't be honoring dad's legacy, but that wasn't needed. And so to whatever extent, the two of you got together and processed it later and thought that maybe it could have been a little bit better. Maybe. No question. It would have been a little bit better with you totally in charge. Completely. But it was cool that you didn't feel you needed to or that you even could. Right. And that Karen did rise up and stepped up. And, Absolutely. And we still dialogue together about songs and all that. I don't have much leadership in that realm with you guys at all, and I don't need to. I can just lay the foundation and let it go. But it was just observable enough to us as psychologists to talk about a little bit process, and sure. that's why we put it on the air. Just to speak to the impact of the older brother's commentary on the younger sister, when we did that gig several years ago that was outdoors, it was for that, I don't know, it was an insurance company or something, and I had a keyboardist I was working with for my duo gigs, and he scooted over to play guitar, and I hopped on the keys, and it was nice because we had the full band, we had the bass, everything, and after that gig, Warren looked at me and said, he'd never heard me actually play keys out, because I'm not a keyboardist, but I can do some chords, and you said something like, you really have got the chops you need to do a gig like that. This is years ago. I still remember that. It gave me a boost of confidence to to do more of it. And here I am, <laughs> not a child anymore with my big brother telling me things. I'm literally a grown woman and still that affirmation meant so much. Especially because it's music being a very loaded value in our family. Like being able to do music in one way, shape or form is important for our family values. Yeah, and the performance piece of it, not just the skill and the delivering, but right. actually performance, like the audience receives our energy and spirit in our music. Yeah. And that is huge. Yeah, and Warren doesn't always understand, not because he's not extremely smart, he is, what that sibling affirmation means because of his role as being on top of us. Right. And he needs it, of course, too, and we try to encourage him and give him the same affirmation, but it is different in birth order. And at times it's lonely in your role. The research says that there's more firstborn. Lonely at the top. That's right. It's more neurotic <laughs> and more anxious than the firstborn yeah. because that affirmation is different. And as Warren put my stroller in the corner or pushed me down the stairs, he wasn't happy about me coming into the sibling mix. Hey, I want mom and dad's attention. I want the, you know, and so those rivalries, those little nuances are there throughout. And if we don't talk about them and don't process them at all, that's when like stuff can blow up in families. When you didn't intend to, you didn't think it was, but one little look, one little thought can trigger something. And because of Warren's role as the oldest, his affirmation to you and me is more significant mm -hmm. or important for us to feel that full confidence. Which is exacerbated now with dad gone. So whether you wanted to or not, you're mentioning driving the bus so often in your many roles, which I want to throw in some research here as the geek. Oldest children do tend to be more likely to be in leadership roles in their professions. Like they're more likely to be... I think the most presidents have been oldest children, more likely to be running companies, more likely to be astronauts, some of these things where you really need that high level of IQ and drive and leadership. And another bit of research, oldest children do have an IQ linguistic advantage. And Warren, as the writer of the family, and I would argue the smartest as well, that's those stereotypes that are there for a reason because actually the research supports them. Just saying. Yeah. 
And the research I'm referring to, there was a book written not so long ago called The Sibling Effect by science writer Jeffrey Kluger. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, he gathered as much research as he could, but there's not as much in the developmental psych literature as we would think. But within the last 15 years, there's now made, there are some psychologists who are saying, we've really dropped the ball with understanding the impact of siblings. Yeah, one aspect I want to throw out that I think will be an interesting correlation is anecdotally and in some of the marriage books I've read, but I have not documented where this came from, our romantic relationships will often mirror or follow some symbiosis from our birth order relationships. So I instinctively looked for an oldest, I think, though I didn't know that, and someone who I could bump against and fight with and debate with just like I did Warren my whole life. So it's very natural for me to find a woman who's similar to Warren with, this is the way it should be, this is the way it ought to be, and if you think otherwise, you're obviously ignorant or stupid or don't know what you're doing. And I enjoy that. But you didn't look for an oldest, you look for a middle. And now you might not have thought you were going to look for middle, but Mm -hmm. you found something in that dynamic of the relational comparison and Warren found a middle. So again, those, again, I don't think we're consciously thinking those things ahead of time. Thinks what's the attractional theory? What bonds us, connects us in that regard? And I think often that matches up. And I know the research says oldest males marrying youngest females is the number one successful marriage. None of us have that per se, but we do have variables of that. Leah's the youngest female in her family. But a middle because there's younger brothers. Yeah, so that fits that piece as well. And is Dan the youngest male or is one boy below him? Is he the the middle boy? Yeah. Middle boy. That's what I thought with an older sister. Yeah. But Warren brings up a good point because the birth order research, which probably we should pause and do a little, just a quick little overview because we've talked about this since we were kids because it was three of us and it was just so natural to look at these traits that we developed, these personality characteristics, which certainly could be part of our nature, but the nurture part of the sibling context, our natural traits may be encouraged and coaxed out even further based on the sibling dynamics. And me being the first girl and the only girl, I would, which is weird because babies are usually irresponsible and playful and jokesters. They have to learn how to be charming because they want to get that attention. The firstborn gets all this one-on-one with mom and dad for the first couple years. And then the middle child comes along, dethrones the firstborn, but also research shows. And I was just listening to a TEDx talk by this Jeffrey Kluger that I mentioned earlier that the second child never quite gets obviously the same amount of attention because there's two now. Parents are divide and conquer at this point. They go from one child for two parents the man defense, and then you throw a third kid and you got to go to a zone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so by the time the youngest comes around, the research does show that we tend to be really good at reading people because we have to learn some real social strategies to make sure that we're going to get our fair share of the attention pot. But being a youngest daughter and the only girl, the research says I should have a couple firstborn tendencies because I'm the first of my gender. Mm -hmm. So I was just throwing that out there. I think you do. Well, most babies probably wouldn't have the driver determination maybe to get a doctorate, for example. So I can kick in. I'm very lax with time. I'm very carefree. But then I can obviously hunker down and get some things done if I decide that they're important Yeah, when enough. your passion and emotions are locked into your drive, then you're pretty much firstborn in your activity. And that's where I do have a little bit of that, even though I would say in general, I would I favor more the baby characteristics in general. So yeah, we talked about firstborn, tend to be leaders, obviously. They've had to lead, like Warren was saying earlier, you had to 
parents often look to the firstborn and say, okay, I mean, you were babysitting me by the time you were a teenager. And, and keeping me out of jail. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's that natural leadership, whether they want it or not, it's going to be fostered in the context of the family. And then middle kids tend to be agitators to get attention by, I'm going to have to make some noise. Provoke to find your way, yes. (laughs) And then the other type of middle child, which we spoke to a moment ago, Warren's wife, Leah, would fall into the characteristic of being more the referee peacemaker. Those two dynamics you see. Both middle children, Leah and me, for example, have the same goal. Intimacy, connection, family, gathering. We just do it in totally different ways. She... She's unbelievable in her amount of giving favor to everybody, attention, respect, and listening and gathering. And really, and it's sincere. It's not like it's putting on an act or anything. I do the same thing, trying to get underneath people's skin to find that true heart, true soul, and then I can minister with them in that connection. So it's similar goals, just totally different styles. And but I think like, I I think I understand Leah better than anyone else does, except for her husband, of course. And I think Leah <laughs> understands me more, even though I'm pretty demonstrative in that opposite side because I think we understand the middle role. And thank God, as you've gotten older, that agitation usually, not always, but usually has an altruistic goal as part of that. It's no longer just stirring the pot to stir the pot. It's usually stirring the pot because you know that when the pot is stirred, good things, if sometimes painful things, rise to the surface and then can be dealt with more effectively. Yes. Which is something I've appreciated about when you have stirred the pot now in this season of our lives. It usually has a goal, uh, an end that is worthy at some point. Yeah. So Warren, from your perspective then, and we've all talked birth order, you introduced us to birth order. I think you got a hold of Dr. Lehman stuff and then shared it with me. I remember like it was yesterday when you shared it with me, I read the whole thing like two days. I'm like, oh my gosh, this explains so much of me and you and the family. But the firstborn role is different because again, you're not looking up to somebody. So you're looking down. And so as you think about the firstborn responsibility, that I talked to you and Angie a lot about, man, once in a while, you got to release that and just let that go a little bit. And Angie's like, you're asking me to cut off my arm. Like she right. doesn't know how to think about not having that. Where Karen and I could chill, like you take care of it then for a minute, I'll be all right. right. But we're drivers. We have ambition. We have, it's just a whole different context. Even in, in the relational aspect, not only with us, but in your leadership on campus, everywhere else, how do you balance that knowing what is partly you, partly gifting, partly responsibility, and then the desire to just fit in? which everyone has in some context, belonging-wise. Yeah, let me get to that in a second, but let me just do a free commercial for the book book that you talked about. It's Kevin Lehman's The Birth Order Book, and the subtitle is, if I remember correctly, Why You Are the Way You Are. That's good. And I remember you you talk about circumstances in life. Where were you when JFK was shot? Where are you at 9-11? All that kind of thing. I remember exactly where I was when I read that book. Mm. It was on a servant summer music team, and we were at Steve Lane's house in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and I was on the porch, and I devoured that thing similarly Mm. in two days because I read through that, and at every page, oh, my gosh, there I am. Oh, there's Elliot. Oh, there's Karen. (laughs) Oh, there's how Dad fostered this, (laughs) whether he wanted to or not. All that kind of stuff. Kevin Lehman's The Birth Order book, it's probably in its seventh or eighth printing now, but it's fascinating. It takes basically, I think it's Adler, right, the, mm-hmm. who was the guru of mm-hmm. birth order. It takes his stuff and makes it palatable for the masses. Anyway, I think now I'm almost 60, so now it's about conservation of energy and prioritizing. In my 40s, it was like, well, I can do this better than most people, so I'm just going to do it. I'd rather do it myself than have anything that I'm associated with done less no, that's a terribly arrogant philosophy. Yeah, philosophy. Yeah, that, that really is. It, it is. <laughs> With self-sufficiency. It's right, that whole self 
I can only rely completely on self. Yeah. But now, thank God, a little older, a little wiser, it's more about, okay, if I'm going to have enough energy for my wife, if I'm going to have enough energy for my kids, if I'm going to have enough energy to be the kind of professor I want to be, not necessarily the kind of professor that the students think they need, especially in this day and age, that's a whole other podcast, and you've probably covered quite a bit of that in previous podcasts. But if I am going to be the kind of professor that I want to be, knowing what I know is in their best interests, ultimately, then I have to say no to some things. I have to put some things on the shelf that I, yes, of course, I could do it very well and easily, but it, I just have to prioritize and I'm getting better. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm getting better at doing that kind of thing at this stage of my life than at any other point in my almost 60 years. And with a wife who's a middle, how do you think, even though I'm the opposite side of middle, how do you think our relationship, which obviously went through a lot of revolutions to get to its good state now as really good friends, best friends, brothers, broity, the spirit of broity we talked about. How do you think our relationship helped you with a middler who is not a, who's not a fighter? She's a peacemaker completely, but any connection there that you can think off the top of your head? In the early years of marriage, I looked back to our relationship and then did the opposite. That, that was probably smart. <laughs> right. Because Leah doesn't like to fight. You don't exactly. want to pick a fight with her. Right. Like you could pick with me anytime we'd have. Yeah. Whereas in our relationship up until the last 15, 20 years, I would be happy taking advantage of you. Sure. But early in my marriage, there were a couple of times I realized if I continue to behave in this manner, I will be taking advantage of my wife in ways that are not probably ultimately very healthy for the long-term benefits of this relationship. Now, because she's a giver, because she's kind, because she's the best listener I've ever encountered in my entire life, I could probably do this. And I had to put limits on myself so that the relationship, I mean, we talk about A-frame relationships, and they're never 50-50. But you don't want it to be 80-20, 60-40 some seasons, ideally 55-45, whatever. But that was very conscious in my brain and it probably came from the times when I looked back on our relationship and said, you were a really schmuck of an older brother at that point. You probably didn't need to do that and you probably didn't need to go there with Elliot. And so that probably served my poor sibling behavior, probably motivated me to be a better husband. Sure. No, that's an excellent process. And do you remember the time Karen and I came to your office at Judson and had like a small little confrontation? I'm sure we were both really nervous because of your position, your power. This is early. I think Karen was probably still in grad school and I was probably just out. Karen probably doesn't even remember it because she probably didn't know it was an intervention. It was probably me had an idea to come after you about something. I wanted Karen as backup. Also, I'll block things out in a heartbeat. That's true. <laughs> She's like, it was I, hard, I repressed blocked. that. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. The panda, panda said, this is confrontational and scary. I'm pulling out. Roy was onto something with those defense mechanisms. I highly recommend them. <laughs> anyway, we, and we, it wasn't like a hard scale intervention. It must not have been because I'm not remembering it. So what yeah, was the basic idea? You were like bossing this around again as normal. Oh. It was it had to do with the performance in Rockford. And you just assumed without asking either of us that we were going to get in it and be a part of it. It might have been ones where there was acting and musicians. I think Karen might have been acting or mm. singing and I was drumming. This okay. wasn't Living Proof or it was Living Proof? No, I believe it was the Rockford Methodist. What was the church you were up there? Yeah, Aldersgate United yeah. Methodist. Yeah, it's one of those. And I had gone up and helped you with many things. I was in that play one time. It was a lot right. of fun. So I'm not yeah. saying it was all negative. Yeah. But there was something where something was coming up and you never asked either of us. 
You just assumed we would say yes and sent us a schedule with, here's rehearsals. I'm like, rehearsals for what? Mm. I didn't even know I signed up for anything yet. And so again, Karen might've blocked all this out, but I probably called her up and go, sure Hey, did. you're on this list too. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And uh, I don't think it was the time where you were living with us for a while after your knee surgery or something. I think it was probably you were living in the area that at would, that at house or something or. That would have been, if, it, if you were at the Methodist church, that I was still in college. Yeah. Okay. So remember time. you ended up taking my car. Dad gave you my Sentra cause you were going from Elgin to Rockford. And you had like a wagon that was burning right. up the gas. Right. And I took the wagon, the sable. Yep. I love going down car yep. memory lane. So now here's, a good your, time. here's your memory on all this stuff, and so, you can't remember this incident. The important details. <laughs> yeah. The cars we had. Right. Yeah. So I had the Mercury Sable okay. then. That black one. The black one. Okay, so now it makes even more sense. Yeah, Why? I was in Rockford from 86 to 88. Yeah, so. Oh, that makes sense now. So I, that would have been my first year of college. Right, so we're both in college, so that's why it makes more that, sense. Yeah, that okay. he would be, he, yeah. He felt every, we're not even adults. <laughs> no. And so I don't know, it must have got under my middle-born skin. And so I probably grabbed Karen out of the lunch line or said, so let's go talk to him or whatever. So I just remember it being funny because you had such an interesting look on your face. Tickled that I was challenging you, but if I decide you're in the musical, you're in it. What are you even worried about? Yeah. You're going to drum for me like you always do. And Karen's going to perform and sing. And that's what you guys do. I'm in charge. And so it's funny because you, you weren't arrogant about it on the external, but it was simply that matter of, well, this is what's right. And it was good. And we had fun. I remember going up and playing in it and performing in it. And it was a good time. It's just simply the asking part that bothered me. And you did talk about something in that realm where you said something, you know what, I'll try to do better. And that was enough for me. Just that he acknowledged it, that there was some merit in the fact that I should be allowed to say yes or no when he needs a drummer. I shouldn't have to automatically. Now, Dad didn't ask our permission, did he? No, and I was probably following his lead. Absolutely. Right. I remember the first time I drummed in church, Dad just told me like three days before, right. you're drumming Sunday. like, I am? That's well, probably one of the times I hid in the woods. I was so scared. I probably yeah. went down the schoolyard and hid because I was afraid well, to perform. He bought me the bass and I had it for three weeks. And then he said, like on a Tuesday, you're playing this Sunday. I go, oh, really? Yep. And he had I was a fretless bass. So I have no idea what I'm doing on this yeah. thing. Are you, you want me to play? Okay. So you were modeling and dad right. was a firstborn male. He wasn't right. the oldest, but he acted like the oldest sibling Yeah. and had his father's gifts. So there's that whole musical lineage. And I think you were following without intending to be disrespectful to us, but it bothered me, even though I love drumming sure. and love drumming with you, it bothered me. And so I remember coming to talk, Karen's repressed it. You don't remember it. That's <laughs> not surprising. You hit on a good point though, we're firstborns and it's the blessing and the curse. Because so often, and again, this is going to sound arrogant, I'm sorry, but so often, especially for internal processors, because I do all the work of lining up the options in my head and up, that's a bad one, this one, this, this is the best of the all, and then presenting it. And Leah and I have had conversations about this all the time. It's just bring me into the conversation, yeah. she mm-hmm. says. Please that's my let me all the know. Way, yeah. But what 95% of the time, we end up going with what I said anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So the blessing and the curse of the firstborn is we're often, dang it, we're right. And we have thought this through. But the curse is that it can be alarmingly off-putting to be on the, yeah, disrespectful to be, especially in a marriage relationship, but to be on the receiving end of that. In in younger years, you probably would have said, I don't care if that is the right thing to do. I'm going to do this just because you told me that I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Again, I haven't arrived completely, but at this stage of my life, I try to, even if I know pretty sure we're going to end up doing this, I try to at least make it appear as if I'm open to other ideas. <laughs> That's why it's alarming when we go to a gig and you're like, I abdicate the throne. And Karen are like, don't get back on the throne yeah. where you belong. Yeah. And from Karen's side of this, we talked about this a lot, Karen, not only with Warren, but with me too, because you had two dominant styled brothers. 
very both very driven both mm-hmm. my drive was partly to to alter his right but i was as driven athletically as he was musically because i found that i was a better athlete and i'm going oh i'm going to get my thing here and then he helped bring me along as a drummer musically so i felt more included but for you as a baby and with two very strong-willed achievement-oriented passionate inspirational brothers it's harder for you to because then you automatically then hear something warren says and unlike me who thinks challenge at first you think it has to be right. And so that's a whole nother variable about a next sibling or a younger sibling. And even the male-female dynamic here with a very powerful father, the divine bald one, as we called him. And my word goes, and we're hearing that one, right? Because so. I said so all that. And then you have a oldest B-O-S-S. brother. S-S-S. And you have an older brother, very similar. And then you have a middle brother, at agitator and provocative, who would spend more time with you and do silly things with you that Warren didn't want to do. But who was also pushing you very hard too. Remember when we'd be training for basketball and make you run laps around the house? That I did not block out, yeah. nor did I repress that. I remember it. And we'd go down and you were a soccer goalie and I'd go down and drill you with, I was yeah. a pretty good soccer player with a pretty good shot and I would just rifle on you. Pretty good nothing. Yeah, so, <laughs> you I mean, were like MVP <laughs> in the whole city. So here's that other, that but whole other context. I was a context. better goalie for it. Yeah, but I mean, but I wasn't thinking, I wonder how Karen feels. I was doing the same thing Warren does. This is what will make her better. So she takes a 45, 80 mile per hour soccer shot to the face. So be it. You had two of those on top of a father. So it's you, amazing you survived at all. <laughs> but it makes her strong, right? <laughs> Even though she represses conflict and crisis at times, it does make you strong that eventually you will stand up and self-advocate. And that's part of your ministry, right? Stand up for self, stand up for was right. Stand up when you know you shouldn't get married when you think you might. All those things, I think it does build into the sibling relationship. And you did rise up and have your own place, your own spot. And the professors we all loved here said you were the smartest. So I don't like when you naturally defer to Warren, even though Um, we know he's brilliant. I disagree. No, Doc pretty much said we got Elliot through. Great way to say that. (laughs) You were pretty good, Warren, but but Karen was the most brilliant of all of you. I said, okay, fair. Most naturally gifted, yeah. See, you're having a hard time affirming it. You're the only only one who got two degrees and still graduated a 3.8 or whatever it was. You're balanced enough, English and psych. How about that? You did the degrees of both of us. Come on, that's not sibling birthday. That's definitely something there was. Yeah, your two older brothers got his major and mine. aggressive on my part coming in? (laughs) I think it was almost affirming your role and our influence. Yeah. Even when you had to go do your own thing still. And like you and I said, you felt as drawn to psych as I was. But once you got into clinical work, you know what? Can't do it. I'll take it home. This is going to eat me alive. But I still want to be in the business, be in the movement. Thank you for joining us for what has now become part one of the Family Systems Anderson sibling dynamic. Truth be told, there was a hailstorm that occurred on campus and put a uh, definite spin on the timing of our conversation. But I think also, it's reflective of our dynamics as siblings. Well, right? it at was least like a for me, it was. <laughs> I don't know, you guys, I was the hailstorm. Yeah, always I experienced coming. the hailstorm that was <laughs> Elliot, the legendary Otto <laughs> hurricane. The hailstorm coming through. But we are uh, thankful and appreciative of you guys listening. Hopefully some of our conversation triggered understandings and empathy and consideration. And what a blessing it is to have wonderful relationships as siblings. If you haven't had the chance to join our newsletter list, please do so so that we can stay in touch between podcast episodes. It's at loveandlifemedia.com. There you can also find opportunities to work with us if that interests you at all. And you'll be the first to know what's going on when we start getting some live events coming down the pipe. 
And part two of our sibling conversation will be aired next week. Please join and listen. As always, we appreciate you spending a portion of your day with us. It means so much. If you have just a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a few words of review, it helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.